everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Two Guys, One Topic. I'm Liam. And I'm Ollie. And we have got a fantastically unique episode for you today, haven't we, Ollie? Yes, we have. So we've now come to the end of Series 1. Series 1. We've got a whole series. I mean, we've been renewed for Series 2, do you think? I hope so. I have to wait and see. So we've come to the end of Series 1, and as the world keeps moving, things keep changing. So we thought it'd be useful just to have a little recap about the topics that we've released. Yeah, so there have been five of our topics that we've done that have had notable news coverage uh, since they've been released. So we, we thought it'd be quite interesting if we could just update you on some of those things and uh, keep you up to date with the most latest updates. Sounds good to me. Let's jump in. Let's share some knowledge indeed. Here we go then, Liam. Let's do our two guys, one topic, and another thing. That's what we're calling this week's episode, right? That is exactly what we're calling it, and another thing. So um, we've got five topics, haven't we, that we've um, been tracking or following over the time since we've released them, and uh, we're going to run through them five to one, I guess. So in at five, Mount Everest. Yeah, so the Mount Everest episode was actually released the week where most climbers then go for the final summit of going up the mountain. So they've been on the the mountain for nearly two months already, and it coincided that it came out the weekend that they would be doing their final ascent. Yeah, so we found out, didn't we, that most or nearly all ascents take place in the last couple of weeks of May, and it timed in quite nicely with, with when we released it. There is a story about, I think she was from Hong Kong, wasn't she? Is she a teacher from Hong Kong? A That's female um, broke, the, like this season, so what must that be, two, three weeks ago at the most, broke the record for the fastest ascent from base camp to the summit. Which is incredible. Yeah, she did an yeah, amazing job. So her name was Ada Tsang Ying Hung, and she was a former teacher from Hong Kong. And... To scale Everest, it took her 25 hours and 50 minutes. So do you just want to put that into context? Yeah, so that is from base camp to the summit, which straight up is three and a half kilometers. Yeah. So literally stand at base camp and look straight up vertically, three and a half kilometers up. Um, In 25 hours and 50 minutes. Yeah, she left at 1.20 p.m. on a Saturday and she summited at 10 past three um, the next day. So the Nepalese government will certify that climbers have got to the top. So they will sign off and say, yes, you've climbed. But they have nothing to do with any records or world records. Yeah. They don't track them. Yep. So the only way this will be verified is she needs to present her claim to the Guinness World Records, like to the actual the, that book that we used to get when you were little. <laughs> and to put it into context, her 25 hours and 50 minutes, how long does that normally take people to then um, so, start to the top? Yeah, so normally people, uh, a fit and acclimatized person will take somewhere between 34 and 38 hours from base camp to the summit when they when they hit their summit day and that will include stops at the different camps um things like that and i guess we don't know do we did did she probably not stop at any camps did she just push through it doesn't actually say in any of the news and one of the things that i was wondering i did see that it was her third attempt to go up everest in doing this and she was the first hong kong woman to reach the peak in 2017 but I was just wondering if her body was maybe, you know, one of those freaks of nature where she was able to acclimatize more easily and not suffer altitude sickness. Maybe she's half Sherpa. <laughs> maybe, quite possibly. 
And then also this year, there was another record that was broken, which is pretty incredible. This, there was a 46 year old Chinese guy called Zhang Hong and he scaled Everest from the Nepalese side, but he was the first blind man in Asia from Asia to scale Everest, which that's pretty incredible, isn't it? Pretty nuts. You must have had a good team around him, you'd think, wouldn't you? Um, that's pretty nuts. And there was an American guy, became the oldest American uh, at 75 years old. Summer today on the 30th of May. 75. That's getting on, isn't it? That's <laughs> summit in Everest. And I guess the other piece of news, the big piece of news is coronavirus. Um, well, it didn't happen on Everest this year, did it? No, the Nepalese government have come out and they, they basically said there is no coronavirus at Everest, but there are some expedition leaders who have obviously disputed that claim and they've had to uh, evacuate. Um, they've used helicopters, I guess, to pull people off of base camp. And they reckon there's north of 200 people have, have had or got coronavirus, yeah. despite yeah. what is said. And it was also a record year for generating money because we were saying it's a pretty tourist-friendly climb, isn't it? They're, they're trying to make it more and more income-generating. Yeah, they've made, they've issued, and the Nepalese government have issued a record 408 permits uh, for this climbing season. And that's brought them in $4.2 million just from permits alone. So, nice. Uh, what big monies, as we, as we learned before. So, you know, it's not cheap to do, but it's totally doable. Um, but yeah, that's that's um, that's our up to date. I get you know we we were saying we send each other links and stuff to news stories as the weeks pass, I guess, and we just had a few stories about Everest we thought we'd share. So hopefully, yeah. great stuff. So on to number four. Number four on our list is the seven wonders of the world, which obviously because there are seven wonders, I guess we've got you know a scope for some stories. So there was a story about the Colosseum. Yeah, absolutely. So when when we covered the Colosseum, we told you that. It first opened nearly 2,000 years ago in 80 AD. And with it being standing for as long as it has done, it's it's been impacted and hit by fire and earthquakes and um, all other things. And one of the things that happened in the 19th century, for people trying to understand it a bit more, was the architects dug up all of the floor where the gladiator battles and ceremonies used to take place because yeah. they wanted to get a better understanding of all the subterranean passageways. So yeah. the Colosseum is that one that looks like a crumbled down amphitheater. Yeah. Yeah. If you imagine the film gladiator, he stands in the middle, doesn't he? And looks round at all yeah. the crowd. Um, but that floor is not there at the minute. They've t- they took that. He comes out of the ground in the film with the tigers and stuff. Uh, that floor doesn't exist at the actual Colosseum because they, they dug it up basically to see these tunnels, didn't they? That's right. And to, uh, to understand it a bit more. But um, the culture minister, Dario Franceschini, has announced a project to build a wooden retractable floor and an Italian engineering firm have won the contract to design said floor. So there's going to be a floor in there. So it should be finished in 2023. So if you were to go and see it, you could now stand or that the aim is that you can stand in the middle and pretend you're gladiator, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it's not a cheap project for them to, to undertake, is it? Trying to do this restoration? No, so the company that are designing the floor are going to be paid 18.5 million euros to design the floor. Which is not, about not, $22 million. Not not to build the floor. That's that's what they're getting paid to come up. I mean, I'm sure it's much more complicated. And as far <laughs> as engineering goes, it's going to be well hard to get it in. But that's a lot of money just to design yeah. something, isn't it? Yeah. So if anybody's listening and they've already ticked the Coliseum off their, off their bucket list of the seven wonders of the world, 
after 2023, you might want to go back and revisit and actually see what it feels like to stand in as if you were a gladiator 2000 years yeah, ago. If you need an excuse to go again. You know, I've been to Vegas a few times and, uh, you know, every time a new casino goes, that's just another excuse to go. You've got to go again, haven't you? <laughs> well, so along those similar lines, people will be needing to go back to Brazil, won't they? That is true because they are building a new statue of Christ, which will be five meters taller than Christ the Redeemer in a tiny little town called Enchanted which only has 22,000 inhabitants, but is about to get a statue that is going to be called Christ the Protector. And it will be five metres taller than uh, Christ the Redeemer, and it will become the third tallest or third largest statue of Christ in the world. Nice. So it won't be an official seven wonders of the world, but it's something else for you to add to your list when you head over to Brazil to see Christ the Redeemer. Yeah, so if you see Christ the Redeemer and you think, oh, that looks impressive, you know, you might need to get yourself down to this little town. Or, in fact, you could go to... There's a Christ of peace in, I'm going to butcher this, Cridad Victoria in Mexico. And there's another one called Christ the King of, oh, that's a Polish word I can't read. So I'm going to apologize. Sviebodin. (laughs) If there's any Polish listeners, you let me know what it really is. And the other one that we saw something notable about in the news was Petra. And a bit of a sad story here, right? Yeah, there's a bit of a problem with their donkeys, isn't there, and their animals. Basically, no one's going to Petra because of obvious coronavirus reasons. Yep. Before this, approximately 80% of the inhabitants depended directly or indirectly on tourism. And one of the things was that they would take people on a camel and horse and donkey rides to and from Petra around the desert and things like that. And unfortunately, no one's doing that. So the animals are getting a bit poorly uh, malnourished and are unfortunately dying. Oh, no. Oh, yeah, a sad story. But um, the government of Jordan or the whoever it is, the tourism board in Jordan are hoping to introduce a new system of 20 electric cars. So, yeah, trying to modernize, move, move with the times, I guess. But, you know, it'll take away some of that authentic feel of riding a donkey, which maybe they'll maybe they'll make the cars look like a donkey or sound like a donkey. <laughs> Electric cars do have that option, don't they, where you can like make it sound like a car. So, you know, you're in one. Yeah. Maybe they'll make one sound like a donkey or their horn, make it sound like a donkey. <laughs> but um, we, we did have on Instagram. So at two guys, one topic, um, we had somebody contact us called Genis underscore lens. And they just wanted to let us know that Jordan is a fantastic country to go and visit. And Petra is especially amazing and it won't disappoint you. And their suggestion is for anybody that's going is to make sure you get the Jordan pass because in the long run, it makes it cheaper for you because you can waive the visa fees. So if anyone's planning on going soon, there was just a little tidbit that somebody shared with us that it is actually worth getting the, the Jordan pass. So someone else has shared their own two guys, one topic takeaway. Yeah, nice. (laughs) They definitely are sharing some knowledge. That sounds good. Nice. All right. In at three. Number three. We picked the Olympics. Olympics. Yeah. So as a recap for everybody, the Olympics, this is the, the Tokyo 2020 Olympics, which was obviously due to happen last year. It's been postponed because of COVID. And so it'll be happening in less than 50 days time or will it yeah will it indeed we don't know do we uh, do you know I, I don't know if i mentioned this on the thing do you know it's still called tokyo 2020 though because of like branding reasons they they yeah. would have lost too much money rebranding it as tokyo 2021 a bit like the euros they're still called euro 2020 aren't they yeah the football that's currently happening 
yeah um yeah no so that yeah they've got some some issues i guess um current polls in japan show that about 70 percent of people don't want the olympics to happen they've had tens of uh, ten thousand volunteers pull out of volunteering yep um local governments and areas in cities have backed out of hosting athletes in their hotels and things lots of hotels have hung things in their windows saying stop the olympics yep. um, yeah but despite this the ioc so the international olympic committee they are saying that the olympics will go ahead even under a state of emergency yeah well it's it's where they get their income from isn't it the ioc so They've signed lots of contracts, and I guess it's in their interest for it to happen. Absolutely. So uh, apparently in the contract, the only way it can be cancelled, like with nobody having to pay anything, is if the IOC cancel it. If Tokyo cancel it, then they're liable for yeah. however many bajillions of pounds they, they're going to lose. But so, so that means that effectively Tokyo can't cancel it. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's mean, the it's, IOC. It's, it's in in the contract somewhere. I read a little interview with a a lawyer who said that um, if the IOC has reasonable grounds to believe in its sole discretion that the safety of participants in the games would be seriously threatened or jeopardized for any reason whatsoever, they can cancel it. Now, yeah, surely that would be a pandemic. <laughs> well, the way that they've tried to mitigate this is by getting a load of COVID jabs for all of the athletes. Yeah, they have. Not when we say they, not Tokyo. The IOC have have signed with where um, it's with Pfizer, I think. Yeah, they, um, they're they're trying to say it's in the interest of protecting the athletes' well being. That's the way that they've worded it. But really, it's so it can continue go ahead and they don't lose a load of money. Well, yeah, it's a bit of a yeah. So we'll see. There's another story about the Olympics, actually, as well as whether they're going to happen. Is that that if they do, or when they happen in what is it, 2032? Yes. And that was that, didn't they? So it is all but confirmed. It will be um, finally confirmed in September this year that Brisbane is set to host the 2032 Olympics after the IOC endorsed it. All of their members said that they are going to vote for it. But I was just thought it might be useful saying that because we, we spoke about in the pod about how far out it's announced that a city, and remember it's cities that get recognised, not countries, how far out a city gets recognised as being the, the host for the next one. So yeah, we're 11 years off that. But there's there's good reason, isn't it, why they have to do that so far out? Well, yeah, because as we said, you know, they've got to get their infrastructure in place and it's gonna, it's very costly to build trains and hotels and public transport and the arenas in which everything's going to happen. And they're going to need that 10 years of lead time to get that sorted so exactly yeah um nice so yeah, that, that is interesting um so on to number two numero dos space junk <laughs> there's been a few things that have happened and this episode only came out very recently so this was if you remember this was my choice this was ollie's choice and it um only happened a, a couple of weeks ago but there's been some some big news yeah, a couple of a couple of incidents of note. One of which being that you might have seen on our Instagram that we we put out. Um, the International Space Station was hit by a piece of space debris, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So they it, it was hit by a piece of space debris that hit one of their robotic arms, one of the big robotic arms that's on the side of the 
International Space Station. Apparently, it, the, the arm's still working, though, and they didn't realise it had been hit. Yeah. Yeah, the arm moves supplies, equipment, and things like that. Basically, it helps to build everything. Um, and it wasn't on a routine inspection on the 12th of May that they noticed there was a hole in the arm boom and protective thermal covering, if, if you must know the official... <laughs> They officially came out and said. Um, they don't know what it is, and they, but they do have some idea about how big it is. Yeah, they said the hole's about five millimetres in diameter, but as we said, you can't track stuff that small. So they, they, nobody, nobody knows. But NASA did come out and say the following, um, which is sort of echoes what we said about space debris. Millimetre-sized orbital debris represents the highest mission-ending risk to most robotic spacecraft operating in low Earth orbit. So, you know, the tiny specks of paint and small yep. things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love it that you say that NASA have agreed with us. Well, yeah, exactly, you know. <laughs> that sounds good. Uh, for me, just linked to this episode as well, if if people haven't listened to this this topic yet, I highly recommend it but especially listening to the topic expert interview with Morabar Jar. He was absolutely fascinating, wasn't he, Liam? It was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We've, we've had a few interviews and we say it after most of them, but it's fantastically interesting talking to him. And, you know, although half the things he was saying are super complicated, he'd also make things seem really easy at times. And, you know, yeah. we would ask him something and, you know, he knew that we'd only done a week's worth of research and were not astrophysicists. Yes. Um, and answer stuff in, you know, we we would like to think that we asked him the things that our listeners would want to know. So if you've not listened to that episode or that interview, in fact, um, it was great. We've we've had quite a few messages from people just saying how much they enjoyed it and that they would want to listen to him for for longer than the 30 minutes that he, he spoke for. Um, and, and one of the cool things that he says about himself is the, he is a space environmentalist. Yeah. So just trying to trying to protect the space and what's out there before we, we go out there and wreck it. Which brings us beautifully, Ollie, as if you'd planned that piece onto the, the other piece of news to do with Space Junk was this Chinese rocket that nearly crashed into Earth. Or no, did crash into Earth, in fact. Yeah, it did. This is a bit of a, an odd one, wasn't it? That we were saying that there isn't anything bigger than 10 tonnes that has ever re-entered the atmosphere. But this one was enormous, wasn't it? Yeah, this one was about 21 tons. So when not yeah, since 1990, nothing bigger than 10 tons has come into the earth with the idea being that it would burn up. Um because oh, I guess that's a good point. Yeah, burning up. Yeah, other stuff bigger. has come back in. Yeah, yeah. Stuff gets bigger. Uh there's more of it to burn. So perhaps it doesn't all get burned up. So this this rocket, so China are building their own space station. They've sent a few rockets up lately, and uh, this rocket was 21 tons. And um, yeah, came back into Earth. Obviously, it's traveling 18,000 miles an hour. One of the problems they had was that it was spinning, um, tumbling is what yep. they say. So they couldn't track it because it's just completely random. Um, uh, and I mean, the scariest sorry. thing with that is, is knowing where it's going to come down. Yeah, sorry. I said they couldn't track it. What I mean is they did track it. They actually gave it a code 2021035B. They could track <laughs> it, but they couldn't work out where it was going to hit. The, Be the, because of this tumbling motion. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Get that the right way around, Liam. Um, obviously, they hoped it would land into the sea because 71% of everything is sea. Um, and it did come down, didn't it, just outside uh, the Maldives? Yeah, that's right. Down in the Indian Ocean. And 
China were trying to say, well, it wasn't that far away and they sort of had some idea where it was going to land. But I think everyone was getting a little bit nervous, <laughs> not knowing where it was actually going to come down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. NASA's administrator, Senator Bill Nelson, said in a statement that spacefaring nations must minimise the risk to people and property on Earth of re-entries of space objects and maximise transparency regarding those operations. China is failing to meet responsible standards regarding their space debris. Yeah. Well, I guess if it's tumbling in a way that they can't predict where it's going to come down, they can't yeah, really tell people where, where it is going to. Yeah, they're not doing their job very well, are they? So, yeah, don't think, well... I think it's a bit crazy that they can send a rocket up into space and build a space station, but they can't work out where it's going to land when it comes back. <laughs> you'd think you'd be able to do that. Uh, you know, but what do we know about space? Exactly. There must be some crazy physics involved in that. Yeah. Okay. Right. Final one then. Number one, a fantastically interesting episode that we did. Uh, fantastically complicated. We've had tons of good feedback from it that hopefully we managed to simplify stuff for you if you haven't listened to it. But... Absolutely boatload just changed since we recorded it, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really has. I mean, you probably needed to have been living under a rock or something if you hadn't heard or come across this topic in the news over the last couple of months. Which is, that's a lovely tease we've done there. This is cryptocurrency. Yes. So much has happened, hasn't it, with cryptocurrency. I think yeah. it was coincidental that we we did our episode just as it started to go more and more mainstream. Yeah, absolutely. So mainstream. In fact, I bought some cryptocurrency. Uh, <laughs> but it just gets going up and down like bonkers, isn't it? Uh, so in the last, in April, Bitcoin in particular, uh, just, you know, as we said in our pod, there are tons of different cryptocurrencies. Bitcoin being the most mainstream and the most one that everybody has heard the most, I guess. Uh, hit $65,000, didn't it, for a single Bitcoin in April? Yeah, so it, within the pod, we were talking about how volatile the price can be, and there are certain reasons about why the price goes up. We were saying it appeals to the optimistic investor, and that sort of seemed to happen. More and more people were pumping their money in, but they were doing it on the back of something that exactly what you spoke about, Liam. Yeah, uh, Elon Musk, Elon Musk, didn't he, came out and said that they um, Tesla had invested, what, $1.5 billion in it, and that they were going to accept it as payment for Tesla. And suddenly it hits this $65,000 in April. But since then, so yeah. since then it's gone, at one point it was down about 30,000. So this was in April and we are now in what, June. So in, in within weeks, it had gone from the highest it had ever been to less than half. Yeah. There, and there are, again, a couple of reasons with Elon Musk being quite central to those as well. So another coin that he was... Uh, pumping as well at the time, which we mentioned, we didn't know how to pronounce it. I think you called it doggy coin, but it's actually Dogecoin we've since found out. So Dogecoin was climbing and climbing and going up and up. Elon Musk appeared on Saturday Night Live in the US and there was all this hype around um, you know, what he was going to say about cryptocurrency and they thought the market, market might surge even more, but actually the opposite happened. Um, he came out and as part of a, a skit that he was working on, he said that it was all a bit of a ruse. Um, and so the market started going down. And then consequently, he then also tweeted about something else that you said that, which was your two guys, one topic takeaway. Yeah, he tweeted, didn't he, about the fact that when you mine cryptocurrency, it uses enormous amounts of energy 
typically like electricity. Um, and he tweeted that they were going to stop. <laughs> they were then going to stop using uh, accepting Bitcoin because of the amount of fossil fuels used when mining it, which then yeah. obviously has made the price crash. Yeah, there's um, also also possibly a, a well. Before we get onto that, also another possible reason, but it just shows that we were saying at the time, someone like Elon Musk can have such influential power over it, and it absolutely happened. He said Tesla will accept it; the price shot up. Yeah. He then said that he he didn't think Bitcoin was any good anymore because of environmental impact, and the price then slumped as well. But yeah. another potential reason. So as well as that, yeah, China have then come out, haven't they, and said yeah. that they. Well, I don't know if they've actually said anything. There's, you know, nobody really knows. It's all a bit quiet, but that they're going to ban mining of cryptocurrency because of the use of fossil fuel, and it's it's people think it's also because of the increased instability of it and the fact that certain people have power over it and they don't want, I guess, their economy to rely too heavily on something so um, unstable. Yeah. Um, and they are so in China, you can't access cryptocurrency trading platforms and things like that they, they you know they've shut them down and they're shutting down mining operations and things so you know as soon as that started coming out the price dropped yeah but weirdly even over the last 10 days so we're saying that about the volatility in countries not wanting to rely rely on it we've seen that el salvador has uh, yeah. come out <laughs> and they've said that they're going to be the first country to a- approve it as legal tender yeah, I think it's a presidential candidate, didn't he? He came out and said that that's what he wanted to do, and they've they've just ratified it or are going to ratify it. Yeah, um, they've got some crazy fact that like eighty percent of their GDP comes from abroad, from people living elsewhere, like I don't know America, for example, and then sending money back to family members in El Salvador. And I guess yeah. that cryptocurrency, uh, as we know, it's much safer, it's really secure, and they're going to be happy to accept it. But you, you were telling me about the number of transactions that can happen. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true, actually. I did earlier in the week. Well, thank you for reminding me about something that I said, although I might have <laughs> read it in an article that someone else has read as well. Uh, one of the problems with Bitcoin in particular is that they can only, what is it, they can only verify three transactions a second. Because remember yeah. we said about the Bitcoin miners have to sign off on transactions. Um, yes. The way that it was invented or developed uh, they can only verify three a second. Now, obviously, if if Bitcoin is your you know tender that you use in your supermarkets, yeah, how are you going to do? That's just impossible. <laughs> That's so. Uh, you know, I think Bitcoin. Were you telling me if Bitcoin are going to update? They're going to bring out an update soon enough that I imagine is going to fix. Yeah, issues with it. So, um, so yeah, I, I think that the way that they'll use it as legal tenders for those bigger purchases, like houses and, and what have you, um, rather than it being like proper transactional, but it will still be legal tender. But as we said in our cryptocurrency episode at the time, the reason that there are thousands of other cryptocurrencies is because people have seen some of the limitations maybe in Bitcoin and they can see how they can maybe transact faster or make it more efficient to transact and so they've come up with these new coins. So weirdly, Bitcoin is now trying to keep up. And as of today, apparently there's just been a, a consensus that they're going to do their first upgrade in the way that Bitcoin coin works for the first time in four years. It's a new project, I guess, or, or variation of it called Taproot. Um, and it just means that there'll be greater transaction privacy and efficiency. 
So again, coming back to what Elon Musk said about driving that efficiency. And then there's also something else as well called smart contracts, which without going too technical, there are other coins that handle smart contracts. And it's effectively removing middlemen um, from the most complex of transactions. And that's something that Bitcoin will then be able to do. Well, it's just as complicated now as it was when we recorded the episode. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> completely. Uh, the problem is that this uh, this one is yeah is is so fast changing. My my um, cryptocurrency that I owned went up thirty two percent in about a week, and then two <laughs> weeks later it's gone. I'm now down twenty eight percent. I was really stupid. <laughs> What's the point? Um, finally, there was one talking about mining. Uh, there was a. A, the, the police raided somewhere, raided Great Bridge Industrial Estate in the West Midlands um, a few weeks back, uh, thinking it was a cannabis farm because of all the heat that was coming off of it. Uh, they raided it, and it turns out it was a Bitcoin mining operation. <laughs> and uh, they were produced, they'd, they'd hooked into the, the, the mains electricity, they were stealing electricity, and obviously they were producing so much heat that from the air, you know when they like do those heat cameras on houses to make sure there's no cannabis plants or yep. something it was uh, a yep. firing off big heat but they were trying to mine bitcoins <laughs> <laughs> oh i forgot to say in el salvador again because of this environmental impact not using fossil fuels apparently they're going to try and mine it using volcanic energy super cheap and efficient apparently like you do you know that energy that, that we've all heard of you know wind farm solar farm maybe wave hydroelectricity volcano energy that one <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that was our that was our number one that that was the one that seemed to have the most changes and notable updates that we wanted to share with everybody yeah so hopefully we'll do this again um at the end of series two if we are recommissioned for series two and uh and you know what i'd like i'd like people to let us know if they like this episode uh in particular because it's a different episode isn't it it's, it's yep. when we were talking about episodes we're a new pod and we were saying about things we could do. Hopefully this is quite interesting. And if you think so, please let us know, send us a message or something. And um, we can do the same thing after the next 12 episodes. Sounds good. So thank you very much, everybody, for listening to Series 1. We have really enjoyed it. Hopefully everybody listening has managed to learn at least one thing from the topics that we've covered. And hopefully been going out there and then sharing that knowledge with others. Exactly. Sharing knowledge. That's all it is. And when you share that knowledge, maybe just let people know where you got that knowledge from, you know. Sounds good to me. Thank all you right. very Thanks much, everybody. everybody. See you for series two. Bye-bye. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening to our two guys, one topic and another thing. So that that's it. That brings to the end of series one. We hope you've enjoyed listening. Please keep in contact with us. If you aren't already, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Two Guys One Topic. And the other thing that we love is everybody sending in their topic suggestions that we should be doing in the next series. Thank you very much, everybody. Get out there and share some knowledge. <laughs>